Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. We're going to be in the book of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 5. If you brought your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up there. We're going to be in verses 25 through 34. Again, that's in Mark chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Uh, you'll also probably find a Black Pew Bible somewhere around you if you would like to read out of one of those. So <clears throat> years ago, <clears throat> before we moved here, one day I was sitting in my office and <clears throat> I had this sharp pain uh, on the left side of my chest. And, you know, anytime you have that, you think, oh no, you know, something terrible is going on. Uh, and so we responded appropriately, called Cheryl, who was uh, at work, and said, hey, you want to give me a ride to the hospital, figure out what's going on? Uh, and she did that, and the doctor diagnosed it very quickly, not, necess- not nearly as bad as it could have been with something like that. Uh, but he said, I had this thing called pleurisy. Has anybody else ever had that before pleurisy? You had that, you breathe in deep, uh, and you have this unmistakable um, pain uh, in your lung. It's, it's the lining of the lung, uh, gets irritated somehow, and it scratches against one another. And with every breath, every deep breath in particular, uh, it, uh, it reminds you that it's there quite painfully. Uh, if you've had something like that, you know what it's like to, with every breath, Hope that it goes away. You know, hope that that's the last breath that hurts. You know, hope that you, you go to sleep and you wake up fine or you, you take the, the, the muscle relaxers or the pain meds or whatever that they give you. Even though they tell you there's not really a whole lot they can do about it, you hope that eventually it goes away. And even with something that small, and it went away pretty quickly. I didn't have it. I know some people have it for a long time. I only had it for a few hours. Um, but even then, I remember just thinking in the midst of the problem, like, when is this going to stop? When is this going to stop? I hope this stops. And you have in the back of your head, this could go on for a long, long time. I really need this to stop right now because it's not comfortable. God, when are you going to make this thing stop? Maybe you've had similar experiences before in your own life. A toothache is a very similar kind of problem, right? Uh, it's one that doesn't create a huge health risk, but is incredibly painful um, and something that you cannot ignore no matter how badly you want to uh, because it's there and it's throbbing. You can take medicine. I remember the last one of those that I had, we were out of town, so I couldn't go uh, to uh, our wonderful dentist, Dr. Collins, down here and get her to take care of it. Uh, it was during a holiday anyway, uh, and we were at home with my parents uh, in Tuscola, and I remember them giving me some weird concoction of essential oils to put on it, because, uh, you know, that fixes everything. Uh, and not only did my mouth now hurt, it also tasted really bad. Uh, and so I was thinking the same thing, like, what is this going to stop? What is this going to stop? What is this going to stop? Thinking that hopefully, surely, sooner or later, we would take something I could take something that would take that pain away. Chances are most of you in the room have had something in your life where you've had some sort of persistent pain that wouldn't go away, some sort of nagging issue that kept bothering you, maybe intensely bothering you. Imagine something like that for 12 years. That's the story that we're talking about today. It's a woman who had nagging problem is probably an understatement to exactly what was going on in her life. And we'll talk about that here in a minute, Mark chapter five, but something that she had following her around for 12 years. I wonder how I would respond in such a case. I wonder how we would respond if we had that sort of pain for that length of time with all of the other factors that we'll look, we'll look into here in a moment. What about non-physical pain though? What about emotional pain? or spiritual pain, relational pain. Maybe you have had that follow you around for 12 years plus. 
Maybe there's a part of you, someone who's passed on long ago, a part of you that is still broken because of that severed relationship, or at least that uh, relationship that's on pause until you see each other again in heaven. Or, Or maybe something else has gone down in your life, some great hurt that continues to reverberate throughout your life. Uh, or maybe there was a season and a season where you, you, you couldn't get out of bed, you, couldn't, you didn't feel like you could move forward, you didn't feel like you could think about anything else. Maybe God has delivered you from that season. Maybe you're in the midst of it, maybe you're looking back on it. Well, whatever it is, all of us can probably identify with that as well. And what it's like in that situation where that sort of pain doesn't stop when you ask that same question. God, when is this going to stop? God, when are you going to deliver me? You can find such sentiments, such sentiments many places in the Old Testament of people crying out to God and asking in the prophets and in the Psalms, God, how long are you going to wait to deliver your people? How long is this going to take? When are you going to bring about healing, salvation, and deliverance? Will, when will this stop, Lord? In our series that we've been going over for the last two weeks, this will be the third week, we've been talking about moments where things tipped Uh, There was a lot of things going on behind the scenes, and suddenly everything moving in a certain direction gets enough momentum that things finally just tip, and there's a huge change in the midst of everything. We talked about uh, looking through Paul's eyes in Ephesians 1, talking about Jesus being the tipping point of human history, of all history, of how everything hinges upon the cross of Jesus Christ, how because of Jesus and because of his life death and resurrection. It changed everything before him. It reverberates and changes everything after him and will stretch into eternity as he is worshiped at the right hand of God the Father. Last week, we talked about the church's grand opening in Acts chapter 2, about how Jesus used that moment, the day of Pentecost, where uh, there was a miraculous sign as well as Peter delivering the gospel plainly to people, where 3,000 believers came and there were just 120 before that. And suddenly all the things that have been working together throughout Jesus' teaching, throughout the Easter story, going on to the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, suddenly on that day everything tipped and there was a big change, a tipping point, a grand opening for the church. Today we're going to talk about that same idea along a much more personal line of reasoning in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. Mark 5 is really reaching back into Mark chapter 4, the end of Mark chapter 4. We have several miraculous signs from Jesus, including him casting out demons, the demons of a possessed man. You'll find that in the first part of Mark 5. The story that we're looking at today is also a miraculous story, but it's actually really one part of two stories or a half of a larger story, whichever way you want to look at it. It kind of interrupts another story that's being told about a man named Jairus who approaches Jesus and says that his daughter is ill to the point of death. This man is a synagogue ruler, uh, and he wants Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Jesus is on his way to heal this daughter from the point of death when we encounter the story we're about to read. And what I hope that you see today is when we think about tipping points, when we think about waiting for Jesus to deliver waiting for Jesus to heal, waiting for Jesus to mend the wounds physically or mentally or spiritually in our lives, that one thing we can always count on is that when, where, not when, where there is faith in Jesus, there is hope. Where there is faith in Jesus, there is hope. Absolutely, period, full stop, end of story. Where there is faith in Jesus, there is hope. Let's pray together before we open the scriptures. 
Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for the faith that you give us to have in your son, Jesus. The opportunity to respond by believing in your gospel and your salvation. God, we give you all praise and glory and honor for being our tipping point. God, for calling us to salvation. God, for putting your spirit, your Holy Spirit inside and among us. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your spirit now. God, that you would remove distraction from us. You would remove the chaos of a busy week. That you would wake up groggy eyes. And God, that you would allow us to hear exactly what it is you have for us this morning. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, as I pray for God to wake us up from groggy eyes, I'm, I'm not talking about any of you. I didn't see anybody falling asleep. Uh, that's really more for me. Uh, we had our, our big annual father-son camp out last night. I uh, had a blast. Amy always puts a, a, a really good camp out together. Uh, we had a lot of fun, a lot of guys. Um, I did a little better this year. I didn't sleep on the ground. I actually went out and made the, the $20 investment uh, in an air mattress uh, and, a, and a little bit bigger of a tent. Uh, and so I got to, got to sleep a little bit last night, so I'm doing a little bit better than normal. Uh, but if you see any of the other fellows, you might give them a shake and, and tell them to wake up uh, this morning and ask them how, how breakfast went. Um, anyway, Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. Again, we have the story of Jesus being encountered by a woman in desperate need of a tipping point. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. <clears throat> but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. A wonderful story of healing with Jesus. A wonderful story of Jesus' desire and willingness to heal and extend salvation to absolutely anyone. We see this woman with an issue of bleeding for 12 years come to Jesus. Despite common conceptions, there's no way of knowing exactly what this cause of bleeding was, but the best is of a uterine nature. That's the best guess. Either way, it would mean that the woman was ritually unclean. If you're looking for the Old Testament background of that, you can find it in Leviticus 15, verses 19 through 33. And being ritually unclean, she was therefore to be avoided, to be cut off from the people, certainly deemed unworthy of approaching God in worship or being around anyone else about to approach God in worship. Not only that, but we learn more about this woman, that she was also destitute. Mark tells us that she spent every penny that she had trying to find a solution to her medical problem, but was unable to do so. She was unable to find the cure through any of the doctors that she paid to fix her. Instead, 
The scripture tells us that the problem actually got worse, not better, worse. This should be, this shouldn't be a surprise that this woman is treated with disrespect by those around her because this woman is so unimportant that we aren't even told her name. It's an interesting contextual thing going on here because, again, we have two stories. If you read back in context in Mark chapter 5, uh, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, uh, comes to find Jesus uh, and says, come heal my daughter. And Jairus is named because he's important. He approaches Jesus as a man of power, as a man of influence. His name gets included because Mark and everybody else who's around him knew it. But this woman who is unknown and obscure comes to Jesus out of this pain, out of this disaster of a life for the last 12 years, begging for help. She is unknown. She is alone. So here we have an unknown, an unclean woman, cut off from her people, completely broke, who has been, whose health has been terrifyingly declining for the last 12 years. To say that she has reached the bottom of her rope is an understatement. You know, the scariest thing about hitting rock bottom is that things might still get worse. Because a lot of us, when we say rock bottom, we don't really mean rock bottom, or we don't really know what rock bottom really is. Maybe you've been at a point in your life before where you thought, oh, I've hit rock bottom, and then something else fell out from underneath you. Something else went wrong. I guess that wasn't rock bottom. Scariest thing about rock bottom in my mind is that I really don't know where it's at. Things might still get worse when I think that I'm there. I would imagine that's how this woman must have felt having this issue following her around for years, thinking, I can't get any worse than this, going to see doctors to try to fix her, them actually making her worse, not better, rock bottom, got rockier. And then, not only that, but continuing to search after every cure that she can find to the point that she has no money, rock bottom, gets rockier. And then adding insult to injury, unable to proceed to worship her God with the people of God because she is unclean and not allowed to be in such a place. Perhaps she really has met rock bottom. How would you respond? How would you have responded if you were this woman? Again, in full honesty, the two things that I told you about follow me around for a matter of hours, not days. And my stress and anxiety got pretty high. Hours, not days, not months, certainly not 12 years. An undeniable pain, unmistakable, making her disgusting and unclean in the eyes of the world around her. How would you have responded if you were this woman? I'll tell you what this woman didn't do. She didn't give up. We know that she was looking for a cure. We see her going to doctor after doctor after doctor and becoming completely broke. We see through the telling of the story by Mark that she hears about the things that this man named Jesus is doing and decides, I have to go to him. I have to go to him. And this is not only a bold thing for anyone to say, I have to go to this man. Many people probably thought he was blasphemous already, even this early in the gospel story, because uh, the Jews were, were, the power structure of the Jews were against anyone who came in and made a big splash like Jesus. So there was probably already some hatred against him, and, and there was probably the good side and the bad side that you would hear through the gossip mill. Surely that she had, ha- she had heard both. And so it's bold enough to want to go find this man, period. Uh, it's even bolder to think that he might actually be able to heal her, and it's even bold 
told her that she, as an unclean woman, would put herself in the midst of a huge crowd in order to approach and touch this holy man. That she would put herself in that situation means that most certainly this woman has not given up. She likely had a misguided conception but one that was powerful enough within her to push her this direction, a misguided conception about Jesus's power, as if it were some sort of, of magic that he had. There was a common conception in the early first century that any power that any person with powers like Jesus had would automatically flow into their garments. Uh, and so she thought to herself, if I could just touch the garment, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, if I could just touch the thread on his cloak, if I can just graze his garment, perhaps that will make me well. Again, it's a misguided uh, belief. Jesus corrects that later. But we see the boldness and the faith that she has in this man, Jesus, that if I just get close enough to touch him, maybe something will happen. And it happened. It does. She's healed immediately. If you're familiar with the gospel of Mark, that's one of Mark's favorite words. Immediately Jesus went here and immediately Jesus went there. And immediately in this case, the woman is healed completely. The disease has left her. She, it was so powerful, the healing that Jesus brought, that she, remember, she had been sick for 12 years. She probably had trouble remembering what being well felt like. Yet in that moment, immediately she felt the disease leave her body. She felt the healing the drying up of the blood within her, the problem being removed, she felt it happen immediately. Imagine the relief. Again, when I get relief from, from a headache that's lasted a couple of hours, it is the, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness that it finally goes away. If you've ever been in serious pain where you needed like a morphine shot or something, you know, when it finally clicks in, oh, I could finally... Relax, the blood pressure comes down, the heart rate comes down. I could finally take a breath and be at ease. Imagine the relief after 12 long years. Peace is most appreciated just after a moment of chaos, isn't it? Just after the storm breaks is when we appreciate the calm the most. And this woman in a storm that I cannot physically imagine is delivered from it. Still, she doesn't wave attention to Jesus. Still, she seems a little meek, seems maybe a little worried that she shouldn't even be there. And so it's not really written in the scripture, but you kind of see in the story that she's trying to find her way out of the crowd. Jesus, however, knows that someone touched him and felt an exchange of power. By the way, just doctrinally real quickly, this isn't as if Jesus has a certain amount of power and it's like, you know, like a battery. He's charged to 100% and he felt it go down to 85%. That's not what this is saying. Uh, it's not saying that Jesus is running out of power and he only has a certain limit. He is limitless and that he tapped into a limitless God. He was a limitless God made manifest in a human body. And so that's not what it's saying. It's just that Jesus felt this thing happen. He asks, who touched me? The disciples answer, as they sometimes do, impatiently. Basically, Jesus, are you serious? Do you see the people around you? 
It would be like if you, any of you like to go to big sporting events, like say a Cowboys game or a Longhorns game or something where there's a huge stadium full of people, and it's one of those games that goes down to the last minute. I remember the first one I went to was a Cowboys game back at Old Texas Stadium. It was against the Giants. The house was packed. Everybody stayed to the last minute. Uh, I think Jason Witten caught a, a touchdown pass from Drew Bledsoe at the very end to win the game. Uh, and so everybody was there in the building, and we all left together. And if you've ever done that, you've walked down the big descending staircase or got on the escalator, you're surrounded by people. And I remember you had to, if you can remember the old Texas Stadium, we parked out in the cheap parking, right, where you had to walk like a mile to get there, Cheryl and I did. And so I remember just walking with Giants fans and Cowboys fans around us and not talking kindly to one another and just having that feeling like, am I ever going to get out of this place? Like, am I going to get free of this crowd? It's in that kind of environment where you're creeping along and Jesus says, who touched me? Well, the disciples are, do you, do you see the people around you? A bunch of people touch you, Jesus. Uh, you can't help but having people touch you. They're touching me, and I don't want them to touch me. Of course, there was a bunch of people touching you. What do you mean, people touching you? And there's a chance that their impatience could come from the fact that they knew that where they were headed, at least as far as society was concerned, was more important than whatever Jesus was talking about. Jairus, the man whose Jesus' daughter, uh, the man whose daughter Jesus was supposed to be going to heal, was a powerful man, was an influential man, was a synagogue ruler, and I'm sure the disciples were thinking, Jesus, we need to go take care of Jairus' daughter. That's a big win for us. That's some good PR. We need to move it along. I don't know who touched you. It doesn't matter. We need to go heal this man's daughter. We need to go, we, we've seen what you do. You need to go do that over here. That's what needs to happen. But Jesus doesn't budge. And instead, stays and asks the question, who touched me? The woman, knowing that she's not going to get away from the situation, comes forward and tells Jesus the whole truth the scripture tells us. Now, exactly what that means, I don't know. It could have made the disciples even more impatient if she told their whole story. Maybe she did. I kind of hope she did. But perhaps she just told him what happened in that moment. Either way, she tells Jesus that she was the woman Perhaps she misunderstood Jesus so badly that she approached fearfully. It's what the scripture says. She approached fearfully. Perhaps she misunderstood Jesus so badly that she thought that he might be upset that this unknown and unclean woman had touched him. Again, 12 years she had been in this situation. 12 years she had been an outcast. Maybe she thought that even Jesus would be upset. Certainly she feared that the crowd, if they knew what she was, would be bothered by her presence. Or, and I like this one the best, maybe she wasn't fearful in the sense, maybe she was fearful in the sense that she was awestruck at what just happened. Now, part of me thinks she would have been waving like, hey, Jesus, I, I think you just healed me and jumping up and down but I, I think I'm thinking more of the movies and not real life when I think thoughts like that. Instead, I imagine what I, I would have done the same thing when that happened. Like, oh my goodness, did this actually just happen? I would want to go home and, and make sure that I, this pinch, this, I'm not dreaming, this isn't too good to be true, that I really have been made well. Maybe she was just standing there shaking and the rest of the crowd was moving on when Jesus turned around to ask who touched me. And so perhaps she comes fearful because she's awestruck at the healing she just felt. And she knows that this man, Jesus, is not just what she heard about, but he's much more than what she heard about. 
that there's something special about this man, dare say divine about this man, Jesus. Jesus looks at the woman, calls her daughter. That ought to stick out. She was an outcast. He's going to heal a synagogue ruler's daughter, yet this unknown, unclean woman, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus, understanding probably why this woman did what she did, just touching his garments, wanted to clear up any misconceptions and misunderstanding. To know that the nature of this healing was not some sort of magic, was not because she touched his garment, but was instead her faith that made her well. This is not to say that the healing was wrought by her works alone, by her faith that it came from that, but no, it is her faith in Christ's ability to heal that allowed the miracle to take place. Jesus sends her away with a final greeting. Go in peace. That was very, 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 very common in the Jewish world. Shalom, essentially. As he tells her to go in peace. It's how... uh, Paul and many of the other epistle writers would end in some sort of a construction of go, you know, peace be upon you. But he adds the kicker and be healed of your disease. Part of the idea of peace in the Old Testament, the word shalom meant fullness or wholeness or completeness. Go and be made whole, Jesus tells her. We are all in need of that healing that only comes by Jesus through faith. All of us. Maybe not physically like this woman, but maybe physically like this woman. But certainly, spiritually, we are all in need of that healing that comes only by Jesus through faith. Because where there is faith in Jesus, there is hope. In this story, we see that Jesus saved a woman who was beyond hope. And then if you keep reading, he went and saved the daughter of the powerful man who was beyond hope. So far beyond hope that she had actually perished, or at least the people around her thought she had. And Jesus goes in and resurrects her from the dead. There's an interesting contextual clue in this story that points us to maybe consider how this story reflects the story of God and his people. The woman with the issue of bleeding had been sick for 12 years. Jairus' daughter, and in my ESV, uh, if you go and you read this, the rest of the story of Mark chapter 5, it says that Jairus' daughter, in parentheses, as if Mark is adding it to make sure that we get it. Uh, it's an addition to the story. It's not part of it, but I'm going to throw this in here so you get it. The daughter was 12 years old at the time. Why is 12 important? 12 years of sickness, 12-year-old daughter that was healed. 12 was the the number for the Israelite people, the 12 tribes of Israel. It was often used symbolically to refer to the 12 tribes of Israel. It's used to that in in, in such. And in Revelation, at the end of the story, when we see the city of heaven uh, and and we see the 12 uh, 12 gates and we see all of the other instances of 12 being used in our scripture, it is usually pointing to Israel. And so perhaps... Jesus and his wisdom, God and his wisdom and Mark, making sure to give us this editorial note so that we catch this wisdom, tells us that this is a sign, a type of the healing that God gives to his people, to where he makes us whole, of being to the point beyond hope, the woman who no one else could save, who was getting worse, who was broke, who was cut off. 
a daughter of a rich man whose rich man could not, whose rich father could not save her, already passed away. Jesus saves them both, heals them both, makes them both completely well immediately. The connection to Israel is not lost, and therefore the connection to us as the spiritual Israel on earth today is unmistakable. No matter how long you have been waiting and hoping for deliverance, it is not too late when Jesus is in the equation. No matter how long you have been hoping and waiting for deliverance, it is not too late when Jesus is in the equation. And now we could certainly be talking about physical things. I believe that God can save physically at any point. That's why we continue to pray for our brother Jacoby as God continues to do a work in him and and strengthen his body and strengthen his mind because we believe that it is never too late for God when Christ is in the equation. But it goes far beyond physical. Perhaps there's parts of your life that you're ready to throw in the towel. Perhaps there's relationships or careers or your walk with the Lord or whatever it might be, your witness with a certain individual or maybe it is a certain individual that you're tired of trying to appease, that you're tired of trying to witness to, that you're tired of trying to love with nothing in return. Whatever it is in your life that you think is lost, that you think is hopeless, let me remind you once again that there is nothing beyond hope when Christ is in the equation. There is nothing beyond salvation when Jesus is on his way. There is nothing beyond hope when we have faith in the one who has healed us through the cross. Where there is faith in Jesus, there is hope. Absolutely, period, full stop. Where there is faith in Jesus, there is hope. Twelve years, the woman waited. A terrible story. Literally 12 years in the making. Searching. Begging. Spending everything that she had. One would imagine that this woman might even be homeless at this point. Certainly no son or husband to take care of her. It doesn't seem like anyone else is around. Completely cut off. Completely alone. Without hope. Many would have given up. But instead, she hears about this man named Jesus. She says, if I can just get close enough to him and touch him, maybe then I will be made well. She is healed immediately. But I hope you saw what happened in the story. Because Jesus healed her body, but he didn't stop there. All the miraculous works of Jesus. If you go back and you read the miracles of Jesus, he wanted to bring healing He wanted to do those miracles to deliver people from their ailments. But ultimately, they were pointing to something much bigger. They were pointing to a God who could forgive our ultimate problem, which is the problem of sin and separation from God. And he healed her by by allowing himself to be touched. But he also healed that cutoff woman when he called her a daughter of the Most High God. He healed her soul. He started outside in this time. But he got his way in eventually. There is no soul. There is no problem. There is no crisis. There is no sickness. There is no broken relationship. There is no high-centered career. There is no depression. There is nothing that is beyond hope. 
as long as Christ is in the equation. Now, I don't want you to hear me belittle anything to say that issues like sickness or depression or broken relationships aren't big. They are. You need to go to counseling. You need to go to a doctor if you're suffering from depression. You need to talk to somebody about that to help you through that. But I'm telling you, through whatever means he deems necessary, nothing is beyond hope as long as Christ is in the equation. Where there is faith in Jesus, there is hope. Whatever that issue is for you, if there is something that you feel like you've given up on, I can think of something right now. I'm not going to tell you because that's for me and God. But there's something in my life. Maybe there's something in yours as well. What if we had the faith of that woman? I'm not saying our healing is just dependent upon our faith. But what if our desire was just to get close enough? just to get in the proximity of Jesus. And maybe then he could deliver. And trust he'll deliver in whatever way he chooses to do so. Now we can't get physically in his presence, at least not yet. I'm looking forward to the day when we can. But until that day comes, we can get close to him here through prayer, through his word, through worship, through serving others and approach the throne of God and await the healing. Daughter, son of Christ, where there is faith in Jesus in your heart, there is hope. During our time of invitation this morning, if there's anyone here who does not have a saving relationship with Jesus, I would love to tell you what that could look like in your life. I will be standing down here to talk with you about that during our time of invitation. You can also find me after the service if you would like to talk more privately. And for those of you who do have a saving relationship with Jesus, perhaps there is something in your life that you feel like you've been dealing with forever and you're wondering, when is this going to stop? Maybe to the point where you're ready to give up. I'm here to encourage you that if you have faith in Jesus, he's capable. And if you have that faith in Jesus, there is always hope. If you want to talk about that or anything else this morning, completely unrelated, if you're interested in, in joining our church and membership or you have some other prayer request, whatever it is, I'm down here to talk with you during our time of invitation. And like I said, I'll hang around after the service as well. But let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Bill and Linda are going to lead us in a song of invitation after I do. And I encourage you to move in whatever way God is calling.